Hello, and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and tonight I am talking with a friend from the Heroes of Noise community, Steve Samara Wickrama, from Australia, talking to somebody on the other side of the world. What is up, man? Scott, on mate, how you going? <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's not actually how I speak, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit more, uh, how do you say, articulated. <laughs> I was like, wow, you really played up the accent there. Love it. <laughs> oh, mate, I, I can bloody, I can play up the accent as much as you want from dusk to bloody dawn, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of those accents that people are fascinated by, you know? It's one of those accents that people are fascinated by, but everyone has a really hard time reproducing it. So it's always <laughs> it's always really funny when you hear somebody who's got like one syllable correct and then the next syllable completely off, like Steve Hudson. <laughs> that, that guy, that guy just can't do it. That's not, that's not not no offense against him. He's a beautiful, beautiful man. He just can't do an Australian accent. It's a fine <laughs> art. Um, I remember years ago. Uh, the first time I had to go and get like, you know, adult insurance. So like going out on my own meeting with an insurance agent and going through all the paperwork and shit. And it was a dude with an Australian accent. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that must've made it, that must've lightened the mood significantly. Oh, right. It well, And also in Iowa, you know, it's just not something you're expecting. Yeah. He reaches across the table and shakes her. He's like, all right, Joe and Lindsay, my name's Rowan. I'm going to go through the details of your policy here. You know, here's, here's exactly how we're going to fuck you in the ass if you try and climb anything. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, really great guy. <laughs> uh, actually, you know what? Your Australian accent was not too bad there. It was not the worst that I've heard. Not too bad. I, I'll take it. <laughs> you, you just, you just got to ease a little bit more into the nasal passages, because that's where most of the accent comes from. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and if you're going to do it, if you're going to practice, you've got, you've got two Australian... Classic Australian phrases that are going to help you figure out the accent. The first one being "yeah, nah," and the second one being "nah, yeah." Oh, have you, have, those have were you not in before? my lexicon. <laughs> okay, so the general rule is: uh, if I'm saying "yeah, nah," it means I'm saying no. If it's if I'm saying "nah, yeah," it means yes. I have <laughs> no idea why we do it, but every single Australian does it. I like it. No, no, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah, nah, that kind of thing. See, I find, I find if I try and just like, you know, like go off like freehand with it, like I don't know enough of like the way that, you know, like the different slang and stuff that you have, like, like with your yeah, no and no, yeah, there, I don't know that sort of stuff enough. So I feel like I just lean on like mate. <laughs> way too much yeah, but it's yeah. like enough to impress americans but <laughs> see, see see here's the thing uh you guys probably think we say mate to refer to friends and general uh good people but uh we actually use the word cunt more often for that particular situation <laughs> and uh when it comes to people that we dislike i might say mate you're about to get a fucking flogging if you don't back off <laughs> so we generally call our mates cunt and our, and cunts mate we're, That's so awesome. <laughs> living on the other side of the world, we've got everything upside down. Absolutely upside down. Well, yeah, I mean, even your toilets, I think, flush in the opposite direction from up here. <laughs> See, I've, I've heard this, and I'm, I'm really not sure whether it's true, because 
I, you know, I've been to other countries in the world, but I didn't exactly pay attention to which way the toilet was flushing. There was other things going on, like elephants, monkeys, Buckingham Palace, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Those three things yeah, together. Australian fun. We, we have this generally light-hearted attitude about everything being totally fucked. You know, one of my favorite fun facts I heard about Australians is the fact that you'll fuck with tourists and tell them that some koala bears are actually drop bears oh no we're dead serious about that <laughs> drop bears you gotta watch out for them uh, right <laughs> yeah uh, they're, they're, they're naturally attracted to the oils that secrete from the human scalp and that's why they <laughs> that's why they jump from the trees because they're addicted to oil but uh here's the trick if you smear vegemite all over your scalp they won't attack you <laughs> I'm obviously kidding, but we really do like to lead foreigners on. It's so awesome. <laughs> I, I lo- but really, it's funny because I'm telling you about this fictional animal called drop bears that I'm telling you is really terrifying. But then in parts of Australia, we have basically fucking velociraptors walking around. Have you heard of the cassowary? Yes. Those, <laughs> those things are. I mean, you look at those, especially like I've seen the pictures online where it shows with their feet look like and it's like yeah this is direct proof that these were you know these descent or you know this these came from dinosaurs like yeah so you got that big bone watch out for the uh watch out for the spiders watch out for the snakes no if you're gonna go anywhere in 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 a in a tropical region of australia watch out for the fucking cassowaries i would not want to be near one of those things wow yeah australia's got a lot of really really unique interesting wildlife and lots of really dangerous wildlife like you guys have got like 21 of the world's 25 most poisonous snakes do we <laughs> that's a fun fact that i've read oh, i try i just try to avoid the fuckers as much as humanly possible Gosh, that's why I... that's why i wear boots when it's 40 degrees yeah that's not a bad idea oh, I... oh, but 40 degrees for me being roughly 100 for you y- yeah <laughs> yeah you're talking celsius right? <laughs> I, I keep forgetting that like like last summer i was telling people in the heroes and noise community oh it's bloody 45 degrees all week this week and people are going what 45 degrees that sounds awesome <laughs> uh, no no 40 45 degrees for an entire week is literally hell on earth it is just about one of the nastiest things i could possibly explain yeah it's been just under zero celsius here for the last few days Oh, ooh. see, I like that. I like the cold. It's been very I lo- cold here. I, I love our winters. Uh, basically, anything slightly above zero degrees, I'm wearing. I'm wearing shorts and a tank top for it because I love the feeling of the cold on my skin. <laughs> it makes yeah. makes me a little bit of an Australian anomaly that I hate the summer and love the winter, but you know, it is what it is. Are your winters overall pretty temperate down there? They're pretty good it really depends what region you live in so i'm i live in canberra which is the well the act which is the capital territory and we are surrounded on all sides by mountains so it gets it can get pretty chilly in here i think the lowest it's been in recent memory is in the minus 10s but never any further than that obviously there's the australian alps and like the you know the higher elevation areas are just going to get absolutely freezing cold and we've got snow on all these mountains around us but yeah it's 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 all right we get blazing hot summers and pretty decent winters <laughs> i i keep i keep I, you know i've been saying for years i'd love to move to somewhere like canada and then i realized that i actually don't know what 
that level of cold is going to be like for me if I'm actually going to enjoy it or if I'm going to be like, no, give me the 45 degrees, please. <laughs> Dude, it gets so cold here in Iowa. Like, not usually this time of year, but definitely into January and February. We'll have days where it is so cold that, like, when you look up at the when you look up at the sun, there's like a complete ring around the sun because there's so many oh, yeah. low hanging ice particles in like the air that it just creates oh, like, you know, a ring, a complete ring, like a rainbow ring around the sun. Is that what, that's what they call a uh, sun dog. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so over here at nighttime, we'll get that same ring around the moon, but I've never seen it around the sun. And I think that would probably freak me out if I saw it. I've never seen it around the moon, so I'm thinking the exact same thing, man. <laughs> oh, man. Opposite ends. Oh, totally different ends of the spectrum. I'll, I'll go through my pictures because um, I took one and posted on my Facebook timeline where there was a complete ring around the sun. I'll, I'll go through and see if I can find it at some point, and I'll send it to you. Um, oh, hell yeah. I'd be keen for that. Dude, it was otherwise a completely blue day, but, I mean, just windy and bitter cold. <laughs> just Oof. the I remember... Um, me and a couple of my friends used to go out and explore, um, parts of Iowa where it's, uh, lots of Iowa's really flat with like the cornfields, like what you were saying earlier before we started recording one of the things you'd heard about of Iowa. Um, but when you get up in the Northeast part of the state, it's, it's like really hilly and there's like limestone, um, um, uh, limestone bluffs and stuff like that. It's really, really awesome. Wow. And, uh, I remember one time it was in the middle of winter and we went and knocked on this farmer's door and asked if we could go explore this area, you know, out beyond their fields down in the timber. And they were like, yeah, go for it. And, dude, we were hopping across this plowed field where it was just these big, huge frozen blocks of dirt. So you were, like, hopping from, like, block to block. It was oh, like wow. Sam and and Frodo, like, going through that point on the Holy way to Mordor shit. where they're just jumping over block to block to block. And it was just howling, freezing cold wind It was, like freezing your face to the point where like tears would come out of your eyes and immediately freeze on your cheeks <laughs> Oof. Oof. that yeah no i've never experienced anything even close to that oh it was gnarly but then what was cool is when we got down into the woods there was like it cut out all the wind and we found this place where there was a little like trickling waterfall going over um, some exposed limestone bedrock in the way that the sun would hit it and it was sheltered from the wind it created like a little microclimate right there. And so there was all really bright green grass and really vivid green moss on all the stones. Whoa. Whoa. That's it, fascinating. Dude, it was like, it was very like fey. Like you could imagine like, wow, there's gotta be some, <laughs> like some sort of roots of pagan magic in a place like this, you know, like, oh, like you could just I, feel it. It had a cool vibe to it. Absolutely. Somewhere like that would make you believe in magic, but that those specific conditions for it to be just right to produce that kind of micro biome thing going on in there is is incredible it's uh almost as much of a beating the odds scenario as uh natural mummification yeah that's some freaky stuff right there that's um there's those um i can't remember exactly what it's like the valley of silence or something like that and it's in antarctica and it's the driest place on earth Oof. And it's where they find all sorts of mummified penguins that, you know, yeah, they, they go, <laughs> they take a left when they should have taken a right. And then they never come back out of that valley. 
And uh, because it's Antarctica, most of the bacteria that eat away at things and cause decomposition just can't survive there. So places like uh, Shackleton's Hut yes. are perfect, perfectly preserved from hundreds of years ago. It's, it's absolutely crazy. That shit is so fascinating. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm totally fascinated by Antarctica. I don't think I'd ever want to go there, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I think my main reason would be uh, where would I score weed down there? <laughs> Although part of me, part of me wants to believe that they'd all have to be stoned down there just to be down there twenty four seven. You know? <laughs> yeah, you think so, right? It's like they just, got, they got know, greenhouses. You're not growing this. Are you serious? There's so many different uses. <laughs> exactly. Well, they, they're growing other plants down there, doing all kinds of experiments. Come on. I had read something a long time ago that the panels, some of the panels in the original, um, like model T's that, that Henry Ford was making were a composite that was made from cannabis. Are you sure it wasn't just straight hemp or did it actually have the, the flower in it? Well, it was probably, yeah, maybe cannabis wasn't the right word. Hemp, like, yeah, hemp, but it was like a... and, And so I've always wondered why don't we have more of that plastic? And it's probably just because you know, the way that the history of, of hemp and marijuana has been in this country, but it's just weird That's, that there could be a, a better alternative than, than a plastic, but hemp production is actually really common. And, um, so there's actually three species of cannabis. There's your yeah, sativa and indica, which contain the psychoactive ingredients that make you feel something. And then there's the third species, ruderalis, which has such a low THC content that the only reason it's ever used is for crossbreeding and stuff like that. But you get a massive hemp production off that. Would that so be like your it, ditchweed type stuff? Uh, it'd be worse than ditchweed. It'd be it'd be the stuff that you'd, you'd have to spend 24 hours straight smoking it just to get the tiniest buzz on. <laughs> But they, but when you take that species and you interbreed it with the other two species, it actually amplifies amplifies the um, yield of psychoactive ingredients, hmm. which is fascinating. So, science. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sort of stuff is super fascinating. I took botany in high school and and found I had a bit of a green thumb, but you know, just being what the legal status on what cannabis and stuff like that is in, in Iowa. You know, maybe, maybe someday in the future, if once it's legalized, no, in Iowa it wouldn't happen until it's on a federal level. And, and even well, then there'd have to be some sort of worker protections. <laughs> that, that the legalization on the federal level might not be too far off. Hey, I hope so because it, it seems silly that especially the, the fact that they have it as a schedule one, that just seems like vindictive, like they were just looking for a reason to, to put specific people in jail when they made those laws. And I think those laws are, you know, obviously the worst ones to, to make and, and need to be repealed. But the- oh, uh, you look at the history of prohibition and it is all founded on racism and misogyny and horrible, horrible things with no, and it, you know, as soon as we catch up to the modern world and science, science and scientists can run experiments on it and tested for potency and have human trials for certain things, we start to realize that it really all was just based on bigotry and hatred and a bygone era where that stuff was allowed to run rampant. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, bygone systems of control and in America, especially, you know, the, 
the people of color population is, you know, way more affected by those drug laws There's way more people of color in prison for those sorts of offenses than white people. And it's absolutely, it's just, it's just gross. And so it's just repeal those laws, expunge those records, let those people out of fucking jail. You know, let's just grow up. Like I, I don't know what Australia's history and laws with that are. Did you guys have a period of prohibition with it and then go through legalization? Uh, we, I mean, it's still prohibited in almost all states of Australia. We have, uh, I think, on a federal level, there is something to be said for medicinal cannabis because there are people with terminal illnesses that are getting it. But I currently live in the only state or territory of Australia where it's legal for recreational use. So I can legally carry up to two ounces. Uh, I can't, obviously can't smoke it in public or while I'm driving, though, little secret, that doesn't always stop me. Um <laughs> But uh, unfortunately, we don't have that commercial model where I can go down to a shop and buy it. So it's legal to own it, it's legal to smoke it, but it's illegal to sell it. So that it's still black market run the whole way through. Huh. Okay, so so you don't have like dispensaries there, things like that, where you can legally go and buy it. But it's like if they find it, they just like, well, we're not going to ask you where it came from. Yeah, so it, it's uh, where I live. It's been it had been decriminalised for a, a very long time, so much so that uh, the only time I've really been caught with it, they gave me a hundred and fifty dollar fine and said no more about it. Basically, uh, but it was at the start of the year that they formally legalised it for recreational use. But I can tell you, if there was dispensaries here, I would open one. That is my dream. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to. I want actually. I, I kind of want to have the triple threat. I want to have a dispensary, a cafe, a lab for extracting resins. Nice. So, yeah, yeah you've heard of dabs, right? Uh, is that like the the wax stuff? Yeah. Okay, then yes. Yeah. So I've I've made that in my own home, which is. Oh, I've, I've, well, I've just confessed to committing a crime right there. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it actually, it's the same, it's the exact same offense as operating a meth lab to just run some isopropyl alcohol through weed and you, take you what comes off. cut that part out? <laughs> ah! Nah, not a big deal. I haven't, I Carry haven't on made then. any, I, I haven't made any for over a year, so they'd be <laughs> looking at charging me for crimes that I did a long time ago. But uh, yeah, I'd I'd like to do that officially because that seems to be the the future of it. Wow, I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, I hear things from the places where it's legal and they and they've got a booming market, especially for things like edibles and stuff like that, where you can get, you know, highly concentrated edibles in like gummy form or cookies or you know all sorts of stuff like that, but. Uh, you know, be, being where I'm at, it's like that That shit almost sounds like, you know, an illicit Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory of fun. <laughs> see, see I, I, you know, 10 years ago, I felt the exact same way about it. I thought that, you know, this is, a, this is kind of the thing I have to keep secret from people that, you know, the idea of it being legalized is a, is a pipe dream. I was still, you know, having to sneak in the front door at 2am and have my parents wake up and be like, have you been smoking dope? And the whole stigma attached to it. Whereas now I can smoke it in my own home and not worry about it. And I never thought that would be a thing. 
Yeah, and and I think that I mean that should just be the standard, especially when it's like you're going to have something that's as destructive as as alcohol is, and you're going to have that that's going to be legal, and you're going to treat this other thing that it's not nearly as lethal. It's it doesn't impair people to the same you know level, and you're going to make that completely illegal and and demonize it and I don't know it's never seemed right to me. I I, I guess we also have to remember that it was only a hundred years ago that alcohol was illegal in both of our countries and that they were trying to do the same thing to it, but somehow they still came out of it and said alcohol's okay, whereas that is not. Yeah, I mean, with that one, it was like at least they readily admitted, okay, we we unintentionally created a really huge black market and organized crime here. Maybe we should just legalize this again. And and that's when it comes down to something human nature where you shouldn't make things illegal that people want unless it is, you know, proven to be destructive. Because all you're going to do is, you know, if you make something unattainable and, and, and illegal, it, it adds a, this layer of like, especially for teenagers and stuff, this layer of taboo, like, Oh, I'm not supposed to have this, this thing that's going to induce euphoria. And when you lump weed in with, with other hard drugs that, you know, maybe should be on that list of shit that, you know, people aren't doing, then it, it I think it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy of oh it's a gateway drug and it's like yeah only because you lumped it in with this other shit that's about the yeah, same exactly. as taking like a casual drug offender and throwing him in prison with murderers and rapists and kidnappers and shit absolutely and uh i actually think what well, you touched on something that was absolutely right that if you if you make it illegal it's just going to make a black market for a grow and people are still going to want it there's still demand there i honestly think that all drugs should be legalized Strictly regulated and controlled, but legalized so that it becomes not a criminal issue, but a health issue. I agree with that. Because uh, I've been, I've done a lot of drugs, probably most of the drugs that you can name I've done, apart from heroin. And uh, Good on you with like, that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, see, I, I tried, I tried uh, oxycodone once. I, I snorted it and I immediately felt so sick and so horrible and just nah that's not for me oh, i would no. I would, I would, I would ra- much rather do anything under the sun that doesn't make me want to crawl to the toilet and heave my guts up but uh that being said i had a huge problem with methamphetamine until uh three and a half years ago and that is absolutely one of the biggest health issues facing australia at the moment did you know that seven percent of our population smoke meth Wow. I, where I'm from in the Midwest in Iowa, it's a really bad problem here too. And, it's, and kudos it's to you for, for being able to turn that around, man. That's not an easy one to, 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 to turn around like that. See, so, somehow I got, I hit the jackpot in terms of being lucky. Cause the last time that I actually smoked meth, as soon as I'd smoked it, I had this massive migraine come on. I started sweating and freaking out. And I got I got home and started vomiting and diarrhea and all the the whole time I was just thinking to myself I'm never ever ever touching that again and I st- I actually took a picture of myself that night on my phone where I look like I'd, I I was an extra in The Walking Dead basically my skin was horrible I soulless eyes the whole lot and every so often I go back and look at that photo and go 
yeah, I'm not ever doing that again because I don't want to be that guy. Wow, man, that is that is very commendable. And plus, and, plus uh, if I ever actually did do it again, I think I think it'd probably be grounds for my wife divorcing me. <laughs> yeah. Rightfully well, so. Well, then it helps too that you know you've got that support system in your life, and there's part of that support system is that you know you you care about your wife enough that you're prioritizing it over you know any urge you may have. And also, I mean, it sounds like it it was almost beneficial that the the intense horrible physical reactions of you know like migraine and then being super sick you're able to then mentally tie that to the drug where it's like the next time you want it you're not just thinking of the euphoria you're gonna get from it you're thinking of migraine yeah. and shitting and all that which is now you know, not good if if only if only i could do that for cigarettes if oh. only i smoked a cigarette and had that same feeling because I've had two cigarettes in the time that we've been talking. <laughs> did you Did you even notice? No, I didn't. I'm sly. <laughs> I'm, I'm bloody sly. I didn't even hear you light them. That doesn't. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, I think I think that probably says more about the microphone than my <laughs> level of stealth. Yeah, dude, your new mic does sound very good. You should be happy with your purchase. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty impressed that uh, when I'm gaming with my friends and I start whistling, they can't hear me. Because if they could, it'd probably break their headsets. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, whistling you know, back, into, back into a headset—that's got to be the worst. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I've heard it, and I've done it, and I'm glad that people can't hear it when I'm doing it. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd feel like a right cunt. <laughs> A right cunt, eh? <laughs> a, r- a right cunt. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Back to the back to the topic of the drug addiction thing. Also, another reason that I that I have to not go back to it is that um, I'm not not as not in as much pain as I was four years ago because uh, I did a lot of drugs to try and stop myself from feeling the emotions that I was feeling, and that's not a good idea. As anyone who drinks to uh, leave their own feelings behind can attest to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a covering something versus excising it and like really examining it and looking at it. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes you got to face things head on, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm in a much better place now. I'm actually loving life and want to live as long as I possibly can. So that's the best yeah. case scenario, right? I mean, what more can you ask for? I, I mean, it's probably not good that I smoke so many cigarettes and drink so <laughs> much coffee. But uh, I love yeah, coffee. At least too, I'm man. not heading towards an early grave. Oh, dude. Oh, I can't. Do you ever have those mornings where you wake up and you go to have your coffee and you realize you have no milk and you just start to stress out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I have to drink I my coffee those... black, I'll do it, but I'm not going to be fucking happy about it. <laughs> My my oh dude the the other day I had the I had the worst experience I'd had my last cup of coffee you know last bit of milk the night before and I'd totally forgotten to get milk except I'd gone to to the petrol station and bought my wife and I banana flavored milk because oh yeah it's a nice little treat fill up the car get something nice to drink come home and realize oh fuck I forgot to get a bottle of milk so the next the next morning 
I uh, decided, oh, yeah, it'll be okay. Banana milk, still milk. <laughs> I'll use that in my coffee. Never again. <laughs> Never again will I ever do that. Uh, my wife hates coffee, and normally she takes a sip of it and turns her nose up in disgust. But she took uh, she took a sip of this, and her the reaction was absolutely priceless. It is <laughs> not good. I'm surprised it didn't turn me off banana milk and coffee for the rest of my life. But you know, here we are. <laughs> oh yeah, dude! For the longest time, I was always putting uh, milk in my coffee, and then one day we didn't have any white milk. But I've got a couple of kids, and so we've almost always got chocolate milk in the fridge. And so I put chocolate milk in my coffee one morning, and now there's been no going back from that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so so you you got on the mocha trend. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And um, Oh, wow. And for a while, I was doing that, too, because I've I've got like a little, you know, like Mr. Coffee espresso machine with the steamer attachment on the side. So I'd be making like a triple shot espresso and then steaming chocolate milk <laughs> with it. Oh, damn. Oh, it was so damn. good. But I mean, after a while it was like my laziness won out and I was like, I got to go through this whole fucking process, <laughs> you know, for with like a Mr. Coffee thing to make three shots of espresso. Like it was a lot of work. Oh dude. Uh, that was like me earlier in the year. Cause I, you know, I drink instant coffee and, I drink the best instant coffee I can buy. It's still instant coffee, though. And so I thought, <laughs> oh, maybe I'll try. Maybe I'll try like doing a, a pour over coffee. So I went out and bought the carafe. Is that what they call it? A carafe, like the jug with the handle, and uh, mm-hmm. like a metal coffee filter. And I bought some beans and a grinder. You know, every morning I'm grinding my beans and putting it in the filter and running the water through it and waiting 30 seconds and doing all this and that. And I just realized, fuck, I just want to drink a coffee. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I'm buying good beans. It's good It's good stuff. But really, I'm just lazy. And I want to pour water over powder and have it be good. Yeah, I mean, because it isn't like I don't – because after a while, it becomes like a ritual, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to set oh, this yeah. out. I've got all my accoutrement. <laughs> I've got my beans grinded. I've got them compressed down into the basket into a nice puck. And now I'm going to make my espresso. And it's like, okay, there's one shot down. <laughs> do it all together and like do it up again. And, so, you know, it, and so then this is, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, this is why when I go, when I actually want to drink espresso, I go to a cafe and say, Hey, could you, uh, could you just put five espresso shots in that cup for me? Cause I don't have to do it. They have to do it. <laughs> and they're getting paid. So yeah, it's a win-win. Yeah, and I don't mind, you know, spending three or four dollars on a cup of coffee when it's like made like that, you know. Oh fuck no, fucking no. Be- because yeah, I I know how much work goes into doing that, and and also it just it just tastes better. But man, I remember I went into this coffee shop that's like from the small town that I grew up in, and there was this new store that went in, and there was, uh, people were like, oh yeah, they've got like premium coffee there, and so I stop in, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll get, I'll get a cappuccino. They put a cup under a machine and just push a button and like coffee comes out and I'm like, what? And then they hand it to me and they charge me $4 for it. And so I'm like in fucking disbelief and I'm like paying for it. And I'm like, I I thought like, I thought like espresso is like where there's like a, they like compress it down and then they put it in the machine and there's all the steam and, and stuff. And they're like, yeah, this machine just does all that. This is just still the same. And I'm like, it's not the same. And I'll never come back nah. here and buy coffee again. <laughs> no, nah, 
That's that's so wrong, dude. If, I was if, so mad. If, 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 if the beans aren't ground for that specific cup of coffee, it's not espresso. Even if they're doing everything the same way. Yeah, no. You gotta you gotta grind it. You gotta tamp it. You gotta put it in. You gotta have it running at the right temperature to have a. Oh, I might be a bit of a troglodyte, but having a machine <laughs> doing all that for me, oh, that's one step towards AI domination. Yeah, well, that and I just found I was too much of a coffee snob to put up with that. It was like that was yeah that that was well number one. If somebody's just pushing a fucking button, and also I saw the machine open one day. One day I stopped in against my better judgment. And I was like, I'm just desperate for coffee that's not convenience store coffee. And this is, you know, maybe they're in a new location. Let's see how this goes. Nope. It was the exact same. And I actually saw the machine open. And it was just like a big fucking carton that just like said coffee on it. It was like just sitting behind the door of the machine. And it's like there is literally no work that goes to somebody orders it. On a fucking clipboard or maybe even with a scanner or something. And then it just comes in on a bulk truck and it just sits on their shelf. And then when they need more coffee, they just slot it into the machine and then they charge people $4 for it. What the fuck? You know what? I, I bet that the people, I bet you anything that the people who work at that coffee shop have the audacity to call themselves baristas. <laughs> It's been a long time since I've been in. I don't remember. I I think they were wearing aprons, but I, <laughs> like this it was uh, kind I, of a, a multi shop. It was like coffee was just one of the things they had. So okay, that's that's somewhat excusable then. Yeah, they they, they, they were their main it, focus exactly. They didn't have the audacity to be like, "We're a coffee shop." <laughs> <laughs> but but if your shop has a coffee cup in the fucking logo, you better be damn sure that coffee's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and I was like, wouldn't it be funny so, if you called yourself a coffee shop and you just <laughs> like a Keurig? <laughs> oh God! See, I've, there's a just around the corner from my place. There's a, a combined grocery store with a cafe settled into the corner and those guys make such good coffee that whenever i'm on my way home i just get one nice and they you know they're like they remember my name they remember my order oh, they, they always say four shots of five <laughs> unless they unless they have a new staff member working because one time i went in there and said four shots four shots in a latte one sugar and she writes it down and then a second later goes was it four shots or nine and i said <laughs> it's it is definitely four shots. If it was nine, I'd really be tempting the heart gods. Nine? <laughs> I, I, I like that that was a reasonable request to them. Like They're like, yeah, we get we get requests for nine shot lattes. Well, uh, they probably have, to be honest. Oh Australians drink a lot of coffee. Uh, when I used to work in cafes, there was a dude who used to work at this phone shop who would come in three times a day and get a large coffee with three shots in it. So he was having nine shots over 24 hours. And I don't know how that guy's heart's going, but I guess not well. (laughs) I think even at my most, I've never had nine cups of coffee in a day. I've probably had the equivalent maybe once or twice. I I have this really huge... It's a, I'd say it's almost a novelty mug. I use it to put pens and pencils in it now because it's just so massive. But the one time I did use it to make a gigantic cup of coffee, I, I had to use bloody, I had to use those like dessert spoons, those big ass spoons to scoop coffee and sugar into it. <laughs> and I, I was, 
bouncing off the walls, man. Like, bouncing off the walls more than I would when I'd smoke meth. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's some good coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I realized that I, I have to keep it in check because uh, when I was actually buying beans, grinding them, making my own coffee, that sort of thing, I started to buy really, really strong beans. I actually found Australia's strongest coffee beans. Uh, it's called High Voltage or something. Uh, it's uh, it's nearing, I think, 500 milligrams of caffeine per cup. Wow. So it's, it, so one cup of that coffee is halfway to an, a literal overdose. <laughs> but uh, the last time I drank that, I, I chugged the coffee down. You know, I just finished it. And then realized that I was, that just as I'd had that last gulp, an anxiety attack was kicking in. Oh, no. And it was entirely due to the coffee. I started freaking out. I said to my wife, like, I'm having a massive panic attack. I think it's from the coffee. I have no idea what's going on. Thankfully, I still had one blunt of, of really good cannabis rolled. So I smoked that, and that brought me right back down to the level. But from then on, I said, <laughs> nah, I'm not, do- I'm not doing this strong bean shit anymore. The good, the good solid instant coffee that I get twice a day, that's enough to keep me awake. Anything else is overkill. I've given myself panic attacks off coffee like two or three times. <laughs> yeah. It's not fun because every time you do it, every time, every time it happens, you know it's from the caffeine. Mm-hmm. Something instinctually tells you that this feeling is directly caused <laughs> by what you've just done. <laughs> so so it's, uh, it's regret mixed in with panic and stress. Yeah, Which is always fun. <laughs> I've got a really bad rock star habit, also, where the the energy drinks, where it's like I feel like oh, I need yeah? to have a I have a rock star almost every day. It's it's I I need to knock it out because it's like two hundred and fifty extra calories I don't need every day. But See, fuck, uh, I just love them. I, I I drink Monster. Uh, I I like the original flavor, but I I don't drink that anymore because I tr- I try to drink sugar free drinks. Uh, but even then I'm, I'm starting to realize that the the sugar-free drinks, they might advertise themselves as not as bad for you, but they, they're contributing to weight gain for me. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and also depending on what they're using, you know, as a sweetener substitute, sometimes they're pretty terrible. Oh yeah. But, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to kick a whole bunch of shit if I want to get healthy cigarettes and, uh, energy drinks being the main two. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I know. Back when I was at my healthiest, I was drinking close to a gallon of water a day, and and that that was like the majority of what I would drink would be, you know, water. And outside of that, I'd have like coffee in the morning. Well, specifically, dude. <laughs> so this is when I was putting coffee or milk in my coffee with the espresso, and I'd put two scoops of protein powder in with it. So it'd be three shots of espresso, some milk, oh. and protein powder, and then shake it up and drink it hot. It is fucking oh. incredible. <laughs> God damn. Yeah, that is a that's a new way to get protein. That was my breakfast every morning. And then I'd have like an apple a couple hours later and then like half of a, like a, a quest protein bar. Uh, like so I'd eat something really little like every two hours. Yeah, and, and that was your healthiest? That, yeah. That was when Oh um at my heaviest I was at like three hundred and thirty some pounds. And then, um, when I got at my fittest, I got down to 200. Wow. I, I would be, 
about uh, oh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think uh, 260 I think I'm at currently and my best would have been 160 to 170 but uh, that's only my best weight not actually my healthiest because that's when I was really doing a lot of drugs and not eating a lot of food and not sleeping. <laughs> yeah, so, so I, not a I'm, good indicator. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in this weird phase where technically I'm at my healthiest right now because I'm not doing a lot of the bad shit that I used to, but uh, I'm, I still really need to lose the weight, especially if I'm going to have kids because I, I can't do that whole, oh, Dad, you want to come out and throw a footy? <gasps> oh, you just give me a sec. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, oh. like I'm back to being overweight again, but uh, like I'm still usually the first one to tops the hills when we go hiking. <laughs> so it's like, all right, I'm I'm kind of a fatty, but I still got pretty good cardio. <laughs> yeah, see, see, I was I was going to the gym for a year and realized that you know while my my figure might not be improving, I'm still technically fit. Like I can I can get to the top of a mountain without too much stress. But uh, anything beyond that, nah, no fucking way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the the town that I live in is there's there's no real good hills, like really with well, there's no hills in city within city limits, and so it's it's like I'd have to actually get in my car and drive somewhere if I were to want to like do some hills, and so like oh, the majority of the cardio I get on like a daily basis is just like speed walking for like a couple miles around town, and man, uh, that'll I, do it. I notice I get my ass kicked when I do hills, like, on the weekends, though. If we'll go out hiking someplace and there's big, steep hills, it's like, you know, like, I'll chug my way up them and, like, conquer the hill and all that shit. But it's, it wins me to the point where it's like, yeah, and it's like, but it's like, every time it's like, fuck, I wish this was in my backyard so I could go and do this every day, you know? And then you'd probably get really good at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was, when I got so fit it's because i was going out and like hiking and rock climbing like every weekend and so just going out and hiking those hills over and over again but you know as you get older and kids got older responsibilities changed and all that and it's like i don't have time to go out and play in the woods like i used to oh god yeah you all you're telling me is that there's a alarm clock that's going to go off in a couple of years that tells me i got to do some shit between now and then. <laughs> well, I also I found get that, something done. The, the closer I was getting to 40, it was like the harder it was to like rebound physically. Well, I'm, I'm less than 10 years away from that, mate. <laughs> so uh, I need to get my, my shit in gear. But uh, I was actually saying to my wife only a couple of weeks ago, but because of where we live, if we ever moved somewhere that was like totally flat, no hills, no mountains, it would freak me out. For it'd take me so long to get used to it because, uh, uh, you know, looking out my window right now, we've got a, a big ridge of hills only about five kilometers away, and I basically live on a hill that's in front of a giant mountain. Nice. So everything I know, apart from some of the rural areas of Australia, is all hilly, mountainous terrain. It'd take me ages to get used to something flat. Yeah, and that's my favorite type of terrain. Like, I just, that's the 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 sort of landscape that I'm always most drawn to. And so it's weird that I live basically, like, on the edge of a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, not exactly. If, well, if, uh, if this COVID shit ever goes away, feel free to come visit. 
because uh, there's some beautiful scenery around here, stuff you won't find anywhere else in the world. Yeah, that uh, Australia would be, you know, definitely one of those bucket list places where I would love to go there, and and there's just so much to see there that the outside of going to a zoo, you can't see it anywhere else because there's just so much, so much wildlife that is you know, indigenous to Australia. You got to really go there to see it and appreciate it. And it would oh, be absolutely. Amazing. And, uh, where, because of where I live, uh, that Canberra is actually referred to as the bush capital because pretty much anywhere you go, there's going to be bushlands less than five minutes walk from you. Even in the thick of the city, just outside the city is back to bushland. So, um, where I live, we have kangaroos that live up on the hill that come down. They actually jump all the way down my street and down to the end to get a little bit of water from a little creek down there. <laughs> and uh, we have we have magpies that are just constant. You know, I, I've had I've had magpies sitting in my hand, eating out of my hand. Kangaroos, I wouldn't do that too. Because uh, was it? Was it Steve Hudson? Yes, yeah, Steve. Reckons he can take on a kangaroo. Yes, and this was, I, I'm glad you brought this up because it was on my agenda to ask your take. <laughs> mate, I, I'm going to tell you that's a that's a fantasy right there. Him going toe to toe with a kangaroo because uh, I've seen some big ass blokes in Australia, some real tough blokes, and none of them could take on a male kangaroo. Have you seen how they fight? Yeah, they can they can literally like just hop back and balance on their tail like it's a third leg. Yeah. And, and then use both their legs to kick. <laughs> Fuck I, that, dude. I, I, yeah. I I give I give them a wide berth because of that. Beautiful, beautiful creatures. I, I respect them a lot, but I'm I don't I just don't go near them. There's so many pictures I've seen them where, where they look jacked. Also, like, like they look like they've been oh, yeah. like working out in like a kangaroo prison for like fucking the last you, five you to ten. <laughs> I think I, I think I know at least one of the photos you're referring to because there is a photo of a huge buff ass kangaroo out there. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Dwayne Johnson. Of... Go, um, I wouldn't want to live anywhere near that. Not a chance. <laughs> Have you seen that video where uh, the, like the guy's dog is like getting attacked by a kangaroo, and so the guy runs out to save his dog, and he like squares off like he's boxing, and he punches the thing in the yep. face that yeah that that's not a regular occurrence in australia that guy just had exceptionally large testicles <laughs> and he got really lucky <laughs> that the kangaroo was like are you serious and just get confused by uh, it oh I, I could tell you my cat's never going near a kangaroo but if, if he does i'm taking something a lot bigger than my fists <laughs> i'm taking a baseball bat and a tire iron uh, i mean and, and that's the I think that a lot of people get fucked up over cartoons. You know, they see cartoons that anthropomorphize animals and they get this idea in their head that like, oh, like polar bears and grizzly bears and stuff. They're like cuddly and big. It's like a Coca-Cola bear. And it's like, no, it's not. That's an apex predator. And you're just a walking piece of meat with very little defense. And and. I think that is the slippery slope of anthropomorphizing anything, really. I mean, if you want to get into the debate, people have anthropomorphized things like trains and teacups, but you go to animals and, you know, when you anthropomorphize an animal, something about its animalistic qualities gets removed. So, you know, there's people who think they can fight bears and there's people who think they can deal with apex predators that don't know 
what an apex predator's instincts are like and that they don't operate on the same levels as a human does where we overthink whether whether or not we're going to do something animal just does something yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. like basically anybody who owns a cat like intimately knows this and like somebody who's only ever owned dogs doesn't get it (laughs) so i have a I, i have a cat he's uh he's a 16 year old feral cat uh he was found on a farm when he was only a few weeks old he was the runt of the litter whatnot so he very much has that wild animal personality and instinct behind him, but he's also got that loving aspect. Mm-hmm. So he'll be loving and kind and gentle and, you know, wants to come and get close to you. But then the next minute, if you piss him off, he will literally tear your flesh to ribbons. <laughs> if you're not careful. I've been drenched in my own blood on more than one occasion due to him. Oh, yeah. We we have two cats, and our youngest cat is, was a scenario much like that. Where a guy at work had noticed that there were some kittens, <clears throat> excuse me, some kittens that were born under his shed. And so he put like a humane trap out to catch them, caught one of the little kittens, and it was probably only like four or five weeks old. And his wife took it to a shelter, and the shelter was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll take it. And so then as the cat's getting carried away, she was like, well, what are you going to do with it? And they're like, well, we don't normally tell people that. And so then, oh. you know, she found out that they were going to kill it. And she's like, well, why wouldn't you put it up for adoption? This is like a, the cutest little cat. And they're like, well, you said it was born under a garden shed. That makes it a feral cat. And we can't uh, put feral cats up for adoption. So it's just immediately going to be euthanized. And so she's like, all right, well, oh. give me the cat back. And <clears throat> so they ended up keeping it for like two or three weeks. And in the course of it discovered that, you know, they weren't really cut out to be cat people. And... And so then they turned to Facebook and, and I was watching for about a week and, and nobody was taking this cat. And like one person that asked about it was like, oh, has it been declawed yet? And I'm like, don't fucking buy that cat. And cut the tips of its fucking – like I think declawing is so like inhumane. That is evil. It, it is very evil. It would be like, dude, how about if I just didn't like the way you had your fingernails and so I decided to cut the, the absolute tip of every one of your fucking you know, metacarpals off, you fuck. So and, see, with, with with my cat, because he, because his claws become talons, we pretty regularly have to cut them back so that he doesn't get stuck on everything he walks on. <laughs> but yeah, actually, actually removing the claws is such an abhorrent, disgusting thought. It's I terrible. Can't fa- I can't I can't fathom how people do that. That'd be like debeaking a bird. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's a really just because you don't thing want to... it to peck you. Well, it, it, exactly. And then the people who declaw their cats are like, well, I don't want to tear up my furniture. It's like, really? So you're going to fucking mutilate oh. your cat because of your fucking sofa. Like, and so, oh, you know, I, I started getting really worried about this cat, <laughs> like thinking about it a lot. And so uh, eventually got my wife hesitantly talked into it. And so then we became the owner of two cats. <laughs> and, yeah, wow. And, and there was there was a little bit of a learn, uh, curve for for her to get on with the new cat but now they they get along really well and um but this this younger cat it does have that little bit of a feral bend to it where um yeah and and really it only comes out if like and he'll get like super like i will fight you to the death bro if i try and put him in like the little pet carrier thing he's yep he is not fucking having that like at 
that that's oh. the wild animal thing. <laughs> he immediately goes feral. Like I have, I still have scars on my chest, and I've still got the T-shirt that has holes in it from the last time I tried to get him in there. See, here's the thing. Here's here's something that I thought about the scars. I've got plenty of scars from times that my cat has gone at me out of an aggressive rage. But when he's gone, I'm gonna wish that I had one more scar from him. Just just one more, you know. So yeah, I take the good with the bad. I get shredded every now and again, but I've got a lasting reminder that he was there. Yeah. Well, that and also the people who say that they don't like cats because it's like, well, cats are assholes. And it's like, but, but that's what makes them so admirable is that when a oh, cat does yeah. come up and love on you, that really fucking means something. <laughs> it's like that cat is being like, I like you, human, and I'm going to allow you to touch me right now in the manner that is pleasing to me. And it will be good. Yep. <laughs> it, it's when a cat rolls over and exposes their belly that you know you've really got it, got a good bond with them. Yes, yeah. And, and even yeah. if they let you touch their tummy for a good five to seven seconds before they decide to claw you. <laughs> My cat's actually good. He never he, like, he was one of those cats where when he was younger, you touch him on his belly once and he's going to fucking go after you. But now he just in, instinctually rolls over every time he's near and just wants a belly rub. So Aww. that's pretty nice. I've, tra I've trained the feral out of him in that regard. <laughs> Our older cat, who's like, a, uh, he's some sort of mix with Maine Coon because he's got the long hair and he's got the, the big thick mane and then like the, you know, the little uh, tufts that come out of the ears and he's just pure white with golden eyes. Oh, wow. Like, like a, like a pale, pale kind of green to golden eyes. So I've got the I've got the exact opposite. I mean, except for the eyes, he's got yellow eyes. But my cat is pure black. Mm. So he he had a, he had that added thing of being a black cat and oh, a feral yeah. cat. So yeah, they yeah. say black cats are like generally the hardest ones for the the shelters to adopt out because people are still superstitious with them, which is seems silly. Oh, In twenty twenty, people be like, "Ooh, a black cat." I, I, actually, there's um. There's a little bit more heartbreaking explanation for that. Uh, it's not so much the superstition these days. It's that people can't take nice photos with a black cat as easier as they can with cats of other cats. Colours, sorry. So, yeah, it's all about, oh, I can't take a photo of this and put it on Instagram. Oh, oh don't that's want gross. It. Yeah, whereas any any good black cat owner knows that all you've got to do is put your photos in black and white and they look amazing. Hmm. That is true. Yeah, or you can just put any photo in black and white and it looks cool. <laughs> yeah, our um, our Maine Coon Jack, um, he sleeps on his back all the time. Oh, which wow. Which is weird. It'll just be in the middle of the floor and he's flat on his back with his little paws up like he's like bloated roadkill on the side of the road and he's just fast asleep <laughs> and he just does little leg curls where he'll just like really slightly like contract his like little paws and then release them. And sometimes they'll snore too. And it's just the cutest You gotta wonder what they're dreaming thing. about. I know. Uh, see, uh, we've got uh, we've got three ferrets as well and they oh, love nice. to sleep on their back in the strength. They'll sleep on their back but with their neck slightly bent and tucked around their body it's really strange <laughs> i love ferrets i've never owned one but i had friends growing up that had them and i always thought they were really fascinating 
I had never seen a real ferret until I met my wife because uh, she'd just gotten a ferret when we started hooking up. And I was in that, you know, I, I know ferrets are cute little animals, but I had that thing where oh, I've heard they can bite really hard and they can be aggressive. But then once you actually get to know a ferret, they are the most affectionate. They're more affectionate than cats. Aww. I hold my... I hold my ferrets up to my face and they will just lick my face. They'll groom my beard. They get really lovely, lovey-dovey. They don't sit still and, you know, they don't sit in your lap like a cat will do and just stay there for ages. But when they get affectionate, they're really affectionate. That is adorable. <laughs> so when, when, whenever I'm having a really, really bad day, I just, I just get one of the ferrets out of their cage and get them to lick my face and it lightens my mood by about 10 to 15%. <laughs> I don't know how it couldn't, right? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It'd be it'd be like, you know, wearing a sombrero uh, and a and a poncho. It's impossible to be unhappy in in those things. <laughs> I've never had that thought before, but the next time I'm feeling down, I'm going to try and picture that. <laughs> yeah, just 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 go for the poncho sombrero combo. Ah. <laughs> uh. You know what? I'm I'm so, so I, I did smoke a little bit of weed before we we did this, <laughs> but uh, my my wife my wife says to me last night because I told her oh, I've got I've got to smoke a bit of weed to be on a podcast because you know I, I get the anxiety and stuff, and she goes whatever you do don't eat the weed butter on toast because apparently when I eat the weed butter on toast it gets me so high that I can't even understand dad jokes. <laughs> Like she'll like I'll be sitting there. She'll show me something on a dad joke, and I'll be like, "What? I don't, I don't get that. Is that meant to be? Is that meant to be funny? Is that a joke? I don't know." <laughs> the edibles, man, they're they're a t- uh, fucking totally different level. Oh shit, that's funny, dude. I, yeah, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, where I'm at here, like I'd have to take a trip somewhere, and then. And then also it's, you know, it's not advisable with my job <laughs> and all that, yeah, but, true. but you know, maybe, maybe someday in the future, but, but I do remember from, from years past, like edibles would, would mostly terrify me. <laughs> like it would trigger my anxiety, like so instantly that where I'd be like, am I even having fun doing this? I don't know if I am. <laughs> yeah. See, I, it was only a few weeks ago. So, uh, I've been smoking for 14 years and I've only done edibles sporadically here and there. And, you know, it was just kind of an extra buzz on. But my mate made this uh, weed butter, this pure green, really stinky weed butter. And I had some of that on toast. And about an hour later, I, I literally thought I was going to die. I was in my head going, my heart, my heart's fucking, my heart's racing. I don't know how much I've actually eaten. What's going to, what's going to happen to me? I just, I just ended up being high and eating some food and going to sleep like everyone else does. <laughs> I love looking up those 911 calls on YouTube of people who are freaking out because they uh, had too much edible. There's one oh, with the cops right. where they ate the confiscated edibles and they're like, oh, we, we ate some edibles and, and now we're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I love, love that because you can just tell that as soon as he hung up the phone, he just started having the best night ever. Because <laughs> it's like, shit, yeah, Netflix, popcorn, Maybe a tub of gravy down the throat. <laughs> Good night. Good night. <laughs> oh shit, that's too funny. Uh. So, so oh, I, I, I still. You mentioned that uh, there was an opportunity to talk about it, and I think we have to fan out 
Oh, the Mandalorian? Mandalorian. Yes, I think we Dude. totally should. Because, <laughs> uh-uh. you know, I tried to get a spoiler thread going in the Heroes of Noise group yesterday, and uh, and good old Kevin Shanks was like, maybe we should give it another day to give people to catch up to it before we start talking spoilers. I know, but I... now I'll, I'll want... When I saw I that, into that shit. I when I saw that, that's when I messaged you, and I was like, "Hey, we can talk about this later." And you're like, "Yes, <laughs> yeah, hell, I'm fucking all down for it, man." I still cannot believe how perfect that hour of television was. I can't remember the last time I saw. Actually, no, I can remember the last time I saw something like it because the finale of season one was so incredible that oh, I stopped halfway yeah. through and went, oh, this is this has got to be almost over, and then realized there's half an hour left. Fuck, yeah. this yeah. is amazing. Yeah, okay, J- just to say it, it should be said right now. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about season two, including the finale and the reveals at the end of it for The Mandalorian. So if you haven't listened to The Mandalorian, um, Skip ahead a bit, and and I'll make a note here. I'll, I'll put a note in the show notes that when when we... Um, are done with the the Mandalorian spoilers, but yeah. So moving forward, Mando spoilers. Luke Skywalker, yeah. dude, like holy fucking shit! Like, did, <sighs> did you flip right when you saw the X wing? I so I saw the X wing and it and it popped into my head. There's only a few people who this could possibly be. It wasn't until I I, I loved how they had it appearing on like the the cameras in black and white. So you saw the lightsaber and stuff. But as soon as I saw the green lightsaber, I fucking knew it was him. Mm-hmm. And when, when he pulled that hood off, I, I don't even know how to, how to describe how I felt. I think at one point through the tears, I was actually saying, please stop playing with my heart. <laughs> but, because they really packed it on in that last 10 minutes. Didn't they? Oh, it was just incredible. You know, I mean, we've, we we never got to see Luke use a lightsaber like that. Like that was the equivalent of like the Darth Vader hallway scene at the end of Rogue One. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And if and if anything's going to be said about Star Wars, do not fuck with a Skywalker in a hallway. <laughs> For just, sure, just, right? Ta- just take that shit outside. <laughs> Dude, that shit was so incredible, and I love the way they built it because the whole time, like like right when I saw the X wing. I, I was like, n- no. And like, I'm watching it with my kids and, and they know how much I love star Wars and, and they've been digging the second season of the Mandalorian. And, and I got them to watch some of the stuff in the first season, but didn't, wasn't able to fully get them in invested. But in the second season, it's like when I've been telling them, Hey, there's a new episode on, they've, they've really been watching it with me now. So it's been really cool to, to see them get, you know, more into it. Like they've always been, you know, into star Wars because like, it's always been a part of their life since I'm so into it, but, but to see them really get into this one. And then it was funny watching their reactions, seeing me get so amped up over the possibility of it. Cause I'm like, it's an X-wing. It's an X-wing. And like you said, that, that really narrows it down to who it's going to be. And then you see him come out and, and you see the, the color of the lightsaber. That's another indicator. This really could be Luke. And then you see the, the hand that's holding it is wearing a glove. Yeah. The, the other hand that's doing all the force pushing is not wearing a glove. And, and then it's like the, 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 like the belt buckle that's on his pants. It's like, this is, this looks like what he was wearing at the end of, of Jedi, you know, when, when it's like, yep. he's, he's a full on Jedi Knight Now he's faced his father. He's done everything. And then to actually see it in this and, and see all those force powers on display, it, it was it was fucking incredible, man. And 
And what what do you think of the way it ended? Do you think for sure we're going to be seeing Grogu and and the Mandalorian get back together again in the future? I'd I'd like to see at least Grogu going to the Manda Mandalorian's place for ice cream on the weekends. <laughs> that's a, that's you know perfect world scenario. I really don't know, and that was part of what made those final scenes so heartbreaking. Is that knowing that there's this point now where there's going to be a bunch of stuff that happens in the background that we have no idea about, and we're not sure when we're going to see this character again. But I, I still think the show has a lot of its own plot to work through, and it can hold its own without Grogu being around. And I'm yeah. kind of excited to see that. I totally agree, because I think with with a lot of the, the Mandalore stuff that they've set up going into Season 2, especially with, um, with Bo-Katan not you know, being able to take the Darksaber from him. Oh, absolutely. Like that's, that, that's that, a- that's primary conflict for season three, as it, far as I'm concerned. Exactly, but the the biggest thing that leads me to believe that that Grogu and Mando are going to be reunited again in the future is because after the Razor Crest was blown up, he went and he took that ball that was the top of his shifter knob that he'd always play with. He took it and put it in his pouch, and I kept thinking, oh. when Luke was walking away with him, is he going to pull that ball out and show it to him? And then Grogu's going to do one more of the little you know, dad and son having a catch, you know, moment with the force. And it never happened. Dude. And so I'm like, I, I uh, you know, it, I, I just got shivers up my spine <laughs> thinking about. Cause these writers know, are too uh, good to, to leave that hanging. So that I'm oh, thinking that was done on purpose, right? That they, they know the Chekhov's gun better than anyone else at this point. I think I, I just got I, either they're going to do a big time jump and have Grogu come back. And that be sort of, the first little, uh, you know, father-son relationship thing again, or they're going to have the whole season of the show without him, and when he comes back, that's going to be the thing that ties us back and instantly makes us, you know, brings back that feeling from the first two seasons. So they've got, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to do it perfectly because they've done everything else perfectly so far. Exactly. Like, I, I absolutely honestly, trust honestly, in them, I, dude. I, I grew up with Star Wars in the household, big fan of it, you know, Family was a fan. We went to the, when they re-released all the original trilogy, we, we went to those midnight screenings, prequel trilogy, midnight screenings, sequels. I, with the sequel trilogy, I'd sort of fallen off and gone, oh, I'm only buying these movie tickets because I've got the nostalgia factor. And then seeing the movies, I thought at the time, oh, they're all right. They're not, they're not terrible. Even Rise of Skywalker, I thought, oh, that's, that wasn't that bad a movie, even though everyone hates it. But then The Mandalorian comes out and it immediately shatters that. And I honestly believe that The Mandalorian is the best Star Wars. It, to me, it is Star Wars now. Yeah. I mean, the nothing will be able to replace the original trilogy just because I can't even remember a time in my life that I didn't have it. Like, some of my earliest memories of visiting the public library in my small town was riding my bike down there so I could check out the trilogy on VHS. Oh, wow. And then, you know, have it for a few weeks and then I'd have to go and return it. And like, and that was, you know, before all the re-releases and stuff. So that was like the original theatrical versions, you know, like none of the copies you can't get anymore. Yeah. The copies that like, you know, I, I might allegedly have on my hard drive, but (laughs) that's, 
That's tantalizing, dude. <laughs> yeah, let's just call them the despecialized version. Uh, yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. I uh, think that's actually some, somebody made despecialized versions to try and match it with the original as closely as possible. <laughs> at some point. Yeah, but I mean, it's it it's hard to, to replace that for me. And so when I sit and think about it, though, with The Mandalorian, it's like if there would be anything in Star Wars that could potentially you know, knock the original trilogy off the top spot in my heart, it would be the Mandalorian, what they're doing with it. But it's, it's also, it's such a different story because the original Star Wars trilogy is the, the stakes are as high as they can be. Right. Whereas with the Mandalorian, the stakes are much, much smaller. It's just this isolated group of characters. And so you're not really comparing apples to apples. Like when you try and yeah. compare, you know, Mandalorian with with the original trilogy, but it's like they're of such a same piece that you, you you can just absolutely tell that this is all from the same world. Like everything, everything is very worn looking. Like oh yeah, like all the CGI in the in the prequels, like every, made everything look too new and shiny, and then. I don't know. The the sequels came out and it's like, I really liked them as they were coming out and I enjoyed every one of them as I watched them, but it's really hard for me to go back and revisit them now. Just because... I don't think I can. I, I, I honestly think that I watched each one in the cinema twice when they came out. And I think now that the Mandalorians come out, I couldn't, I couldn't put myself through the sequel trilogy again. And I think part of the reason is because like, like you were saying, the original trilogy has magic to it. It has something special to it that nothing else had at the time and really nothing else has had since. And with the sequel trilogy, they tried to recapture that magic instead of coming up with their own magic. Yes. And in The Mandalorian, you've got that mishmash of like the Western genre with science fiction while being built upon an, an expanded universe that we already know a lot about from our own history watching these stories in the past – it builds on it in such a way that it's got its own magic, and that's gonna, like, tw- you know, thirty years from now, where where you know I- I'm gonna be the guy saying, "Oh, I was a Star Wars fan when I was a kid," that it'll be the Mandalorian that everyone's <laughs> coming back to. Then it'll be the original trilogy, and the Ma- and then the Mandalorian will be the second thing that gets mentioned every time Star Wars is mentioned. Yeah, it, it, for sure, and and who knows how many of these new shows coming out are going to be soon added to that list? I mean. Oh, I can't believe absolutely. how many new Star Wars properties are coming out. And then at the end of this episode, we find out there's going to be a, a Boba Fett series called The Book of Boba Fett coming out a year that, from now. Are you that, kidding? That post credit scene had me crazy. It had me fucking crazy. Because I saw, <laughs> you know, that first shot, it's Tatooine. It's Jabba the Hutt's palace. And then you see Bib Fortuna as the new yes. criminal warlord. And when, oh, so... That, that immediately tells you so much about what's happened since the original trilogy. And then to have Boba Fett step in and have them declare that it's going to be its own thing. Fuck, did they do Boba Fett justice this, this season of The Mandalorian? Yes. Um, one thing I've got to say about that post credit scene. Um, this morning, I was listening to the, the newest episode from the Vintage Geeks podcast. And they were covering Mandalorian season two and talking this. And, and Joe Vitale said the coolest thing about that cut that that um post credit scene that I wish they would have done was uh Joe Vitale's idea was that 
uh, Bib Fortuna should have hit the trap door button to drop Mando down into that that pit or drop Boba Fett down into that pit. But instead of him dropping down to the pit, he would just, you know, jetpack would activate. He'd hover there and then he shoots him. Oh, like, oh, that, yeah, that would have been fucking rad. It's, when he said that, uh, I was although, like, holy shit, Joe, you got me. <laughs> That's a great idea. Although the way they executed it. Was it was still good. It was still good was the way no, they did it. You know, there's there was no mincing of the words. There was no exposition. There was no cool one-liners. It was just, you know, exactly what their deal is. So when he shoots him, that feels justified. That feels like <laughs> justice. You know, it was so oh, good. No. Uh, I I really really wish that the guys behind the Mandalorian had been in charge of the sequel trilogy because it would have been infinitely better than what we got yeah well that i think the thing i keep coming back to and it's the the one truth that i can't escape from the sequel trilogy is that they just didn't have a solid plan when they started out how how are we going to land this thing you it's i think it's hubris for a writer to set out and be like i'm gonna write something that's going to be a a multi-release epic that it's all going to tie together in the end. But as I'm starting and releasing the first movie, I have no fucking idea how I'm going to end the third one. It's like, that's just fucking lazy. And, and it's hubris thinking that this is just going to be so good. And we're so good. We're, we're such a talented team. We're going to be able to figure it out on the go. It, nah. See, that, see, their <laughs> problem is that they, they paid so much attention to fan service and having things that would be familiar, that they forgot to go back and find out George Lucas's writing process for the original trilogy and realize that he had the whole thing planned out in like every single great saga. He had the whole thing planned out in his head beforehand and it just took writing it down to flesh it out. I think some of like, that is uh, his ego just saying that though, because there's definitely things in a new hope where it's like, dude, when you wrote that, like it, because you can find stuff where you can find like original copies of the like script and notes and stuff like that. And it seems to contradict uh, his his uh, statements but, being like, no, no, I I knew they were always going to be brother and sister. It's like, did you though? <laughs> oh no, no, I I knew Darth Vader was always going to be Luke's father. Did you though? <laughs> oh no, no, that 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 one was obvious though, because anybody who has a passing understanding of German knows that <laughs> Darth is close to dark, and Vader or Vada is father in German. So mm, that's a from good the get go, Darth Vader. German audiences would have just been dark father. Oh, okay, they man they mentioned Luke's father not being around and all that sort of stuff. Connection made. It wouldn't have been that big a reveal for them. Do you know when when George Lucas was passing notes to D to Disney like for like different character names that he had thought out one of them was Darth Wilson? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> serious? I'm totally fucking serious, dude. <laughs> oh, wait, wait for it. Darth Wilson. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta have him in a white mask with the red painted on the front. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the stormtrooper from the beginning of Force Awakens, right? That was Darth Wilson <laughs> with the bloody, yeah, pretty much, with the bloody emperor, <laughs> the castaway, Darth Wilson. <laughs> the Finn's like, I'm sorry, Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's I am ridiculous. Your I love it. No, Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard? Have you heard the uh, the 
uh, before they got James Earl Jones, the uh, it was David Prowse's voice just coming straight through the mask that they used. Have you seen? Yes. The scene without. Oh, <laughs> you've got to be glad that they added James Earl Jones to that because otherwise he just wouldn't have been that kind of a villain. Oh, it Might lacks a, a certain gravitas. <laughs> a certain gravitas without James Earl Jones's voice, right? He he uh, he actually lacks the gravitas that only James Earl Jones can bring to it. That guy's voice, fuck me. Oh, epic, right? I I could <laughs> I could listen to that guy recite the phone book, and I would be in fits of pleasure. <laughs> just just one of those voices, like um, do you know Brian Blessed? Oh, the name sounds really familiar. He's a uh, English stage actor. Um, he's got lots of other talents, but he has this really, I could not even hope to reproduce it. This full deep voice. that sounds like it's coming directly from his belly. And nice. it's just, you, you, you know it, you know, his voice when you hear it. I actually looked up a compilation of him swearing recently and I could not, could not stop laughing. <laughs> Cause you know, su- such a, such a classy actor who's delivered himself to such like, high-profile roles to then be caught swearing is just fucking hilarious, honestly. That's really funny. Yeah, that's that would be something to hear. I'll have to look that up. Brian Blessed swearing. Yeah. That, yeah, you'll, you'll find it pretty easy. Don't worry. It's a pretty popular video. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh-oh. But uh, back onto the Star Wars thing. If, if all of the TV series that they're going to be putting out are even half as great as The Mandalorian, then we're entering a new era of Star Wars that's going to overshadow the previous eras. By far. Oh, without a doubt. Like, I've got really high hopes for the Ahsoka episode, too, because that... Oh, whoops. I was trying to find Brian Blessed swearing. Stop that. There we go. It just started playing. I accidentally hit the video. Um, okay, yeah, the Ahsoka episode. Um, I thought that that one was fantastic, and I've I've loved that character. I was a huge fan of Clone Wars and Rebels. And as soon as I heard that Rosario Dawson was going to be bringing that character into life, I couldn't wait. And like, I didn't I didn't think that episode disappointed. Um, I know there was some you know criticisms of the the lightsaber work on it and stuff, but. I, I think with that episode just being used as kind of like a backdoor pilot for for her own series, I I think it worked really well, and and I loved that episode just by itself too. It was a very um, had a very um, like samurai feel right next to a western feel with it. It was just perfect crossing of genres, you know. some pointless pilot for another show that they're trying to launch. That was really the episode where that was the episode where I said, Oh, this is the best episode of the Mandalorian yet. And then every other episode has me saying the exact same thing afterwards. Cause it really is. It just goes from heights to heights to heights. And they, they don't know. There's no slowing down point for them. There's no filler whatsoever. Hmm. Man it is. <laughs> I can't wait to see like next year we're going to have so many good releases next year. Like next year is really going to be the year at Marvel also with all the different MCU releases that are coming out. Oh but, yeah. And I can't wait for that star Wars stuff to start dropping. That's going to be amazing. 
See, I'm 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 weird because I I never got into the Marvel thing. I never really got into the superhero thing apart from uh, Robert Kirkman's Invincible and obviously The Boys, which totally threw everything up in the air in, in terms of that genre. But Invincible is uh, one of my favorite see, comics of all time, dude. I I still haven't even finished it. I I, th- I think I got about three quarters of the way through and just didn't pick it up. But now I get to go back and reread the whole thing to the end. Nice. Yeah, it's and, like 130 uh, issues, 140 some issues maybe. Yeah. Wow. See, um, I tr- I trust Robert Kirkman to de- to deliver an ending because uh, did you do you read The Walking Dead? I read The Walking Dead up until issue 100, and then I decided that I wanted to start reading books where characters actually get wins, and the, the book just doesn't make me feel oh, fucking sad and dirty, and so I dropped off. <laughs> but, dude, I binged so, it up to that point. I, I had a friend way back then that just, like, gave me, like, a CD-ROM that had just a whole bunch of digital bootleg copies of The Walking Dead, and so starting out, he was just, this is a really good comic, it's about zombies, check it out. And, and so I didn't even know what I was getting into. And so I got into it, you know, way before it was a show or anything like that. And so when it first got announced that it was going to be a show and people were telling me about it, I'd be like, I, I know exactly what the walking dead is, dude. Enjoy your heartache. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I definitely felt what you felt at issue 100. Uh, it's a good thing that pretty much all their most interesting and somewhat inspiring plot lines came towards the end of the series. Because, uh, do you mind me spoiling it a little bit? Or Yeah, go for it. So, towards the end, they end up, uh, the, you know, the main group of survivors end up uh, finding a place called the Commonwealth where 50,000 people are living. And they've basically started to rebuild society. And the end of the comic deals with what they've been through having to survive for so long versus the hope of actually having a stable, normal future without having to worry about the dead. And that juxtaposition was what really drove the ending home. And I don't think Kirkman even knew that he wanted to keep the comics going indefinitely, basically for as long as he was going to live, he was going to keep writing them. But it came to him one day that there was an ending. He knew he had to do the ending and then he ended it perfectly, absolutely perfectly. Cried my eyes out while reading it, of course. Well, good. That that sounds like he did the he did right by it. Then, if the ending had that emotional punch for you, then then that's awesome. And the oh, way he ended Invincible was perfect. So I know he's capable of crafting a really good ending. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, so I, I always see these these comments of like men who are. It feels like they're slightly ashamed that a story made them cry and feel things. Whereas I think that if you actually cried and felt something from a story, that is a testament to how well that story has been written and crafted. Agreed. Uh, there is there is no bigger testament to how great a story can be than having you actually cry over it. Yep. So yep. Uh, if, if that writer yeah. was able to write their characters so realistic that you were able to relate to them so much that you became emotionally connected and invested with them, that's the mark of good writing. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And even even when it's something like The Walking Dead where they killed a fan favorite character at a really pivotal moment in both the show and the comic books and it was fucking heartbreaking. It was a testament to both how that character was written and how he was acted by Stephen Yoon that I felt I you know I read issue 100 when that came out well before that part of the show came along and I I halfway through the comic I had to put it down cuz I was crying 
so fucking hard. And then the show comes around, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew to expect it, to brace myself for it and everything, and it still fucking sucked to watch. So, yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, no, I'm thinking about uh, that next day at work. After that, (laughs) the guys that I worked with that were hardcore into the show, and I'm just like, so how's Glenn? (laughs) They were like, fuck you, man. And I'm like, I knew it was coming. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was was teasing my – because my sister started watching Walking Dead. And, you know, I was, oh, we'll get to talk about the latest episode. And we got to that the end of season six where that scene with Lucille is about to happen. And she was she was going, oh, I have no idea what's going on. They left it on such a huge cliffhanger. And I said, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. Maybe don't be too uh, excited for the next season. <laughs> Not going to be fun. Not going to be the nice little uh, walk in the park that all the others were. Ugh. Uh, well, hey, I found yeah. the Brian Blessed swearing thing so we could transition away from the sad Walking Dead to this. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm happy for that. Let's do it to unleash a torrent of abuse. We had those women a few store, uh, 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 a few, uh, shit, I'll start again, take two. Uh, well, fuck. <laughs> oh, shit, I've said fuck, oh, fuck, I've said shit. Now, look, <laughs> I named this ship Felicity Ann, and God save all those who sail in there, upper, oh, shit, oh, fuck, I've said shit, oh, shit, I've said fuck, no, there was a woman. <laughs> There is something about just something with that uh, level of voice. <laughs> and he's got a voice for it, doesn't he? And he's just got that voice for as soon as he launches into it. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because, you know, like, with Americans, like, so much of, like, when we, like, like I'll think of, like, British voices and, like, I'll immediately go to, like, David Attenborough or, or something like that. Yeah. And so then when you, when you picture it, you know, swearing and stuff... <laughs> There's just a certain level to it where it's like those associations aren't the same, quite the same in your it's, brain. Uh, but, but of course, it totally makes sense because it's like it's a whole country of people that have that accent. Of course, you know it's it's the dis- it's the dissonance of being perceived as classy while also being just as vulgar as everyone else. Perfectly well said. <laughs> uh, and I, I think I think there's uh, I mean I, I'm a fan of both American and British comedy. I grew up on British comedy, and my dad's whole point of view is American comedy is shit. I will never, ever watch American comedy, only British comedy. So I had, you know, your Monty Python, your Red Dwarf, um, your Black Adder growing up, and then I got into the sort of more modern British comedies like The Mighty Boosh, stuff like that later in my life. But then I find that what my dad had been telling me for years was untrue that American comedy wasn't all laugh tracks and shit jokes and two in your face. So I started watching stuff like arrested development and community where the comedy was actually just as smart as the British comedy. And you really see the parallels there. It's just a different delivery. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you think of like American standup? I love, I love American standup. I'm a sucker for American standup. I, I could not, Apart from Ricky Gervais, I don't think I could actually name many other British stand-up comedians. But when it comes to American stand-up, uh, American, the whole American sense of humour is so much more perfectly suited to stand-up comedy than what the British do. I think it's it's definitely different be- between the way the British stand-ups do it and the American ones. Um, like the American ones that 
I like some of my favorites are like the storyteller ones. I'm I'm huge of those. Like like Tom Segura is like big storytelling, oh, yeah. and like I love the way he does his comedy. But then also like the stuff that Bill Burr does. Like he's Bill Burr's probably like my favorite of of, oh, of the comics that are that are out today. Like he's. God, his last paper, his last special paper tiger was so fucking funny. <laughs> oh, that oh, it was absolutely ridiculously hilarious. I was in fits from that. Oh man, I, it... and I couldn't even put, I could not even put my finger on what it is about his stand up that makes it so incredible. But he's got that, uh, he's got that duality of being able to tell you a story while also making you feel like he's just an everyman who's telling you a story. Yes, absolutely. And like the, the ranting quality of it is just super funny. And <laughs> Oh yeah. And you know, when, I, whenever comics do the, you know, they're, they're not afraid to, to take the non PC approach, which now in, in 2020 has just gotten really fucking out of hand. And so like the, the specials yeah. that, that Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle both released this year that, that just threw a massive middle finger up at the PC culture. And they're like, fuck you. This is comedy. We're going to write jokes. Yes, they're going to be about people that you or people in groups that you say we can't make fun of, but we're going to do jokes about them, and they're going to be fucking funny. And if you don't like it, then oh yeah, don't listen to it. Uh, and I think the good thing about especially Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle is that with their jokes, you never get it never gets in your head. Oh, these guys actually really hate these people, or oh, they're just being mean. They're able to be really blunt but also be really honest and respectful at the same time, mm -hmm. which is weird because I, I, I was saying to my wife the other day, with someone like Bill Burr, if you took a snippet of one of his stand-up specials and just put it on a clip on YouTube, you might get the impression that he's a, a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a sexist or a, a chauvinist or whatever, but then you see it all in context and you realize that he's not that he just knows how to play to that while still being respectful. Yeah. It's it, it's it's amazingly smart for comedians. Let's just put it that way. Absolutely. And the, and the thing that's funny about it is when he gets called out and people are like, "Oh, you're, you know, you're anti-woman and you're anti-feminist." It's like his wife is a feminist. And like when she makes it, guest yeah. appearances on his podcast and like it's just like you're a fucking idiot. Like it is so funny the way she busts his balls. And so it's it's like no, he's 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 making comedy and, and it's like, okay, if you just don't like the, the, the subject matter or the context of it, it's like, I don't know. I I've never liked the idea that, that anything can be a sacred cow and you cannot, you can absolutely not make fun of it. And cause in my mind it was like, okay, if something's a sacred cow and I'm not allowed to make fun of it, there's a part of my personality where it's like, I, I really need to make fun of this thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, I mean, you know, uh, I think the world is a like just inherently is a dark and scary and fucked up place. And if you can't somehow crack a smile at even the most dark, fucked up things that happen, then you're not going to get through life very easily. Exactly. It's gonna it's gonna be a lot more bleak for you. Um, if you don't mind, I'll just take a one minute break to uh, micturate, as they say. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. We were, we were getting close to, to, to time on you, too. How much time do you got left? Uh, uh, probably. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll stick around for another 5.10. 
and then I'll then I'll head off. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, well, we can take a quick pause here, and uh, we will be right back. And we're back. <laughs> and I don't remember what we were talking about. <laughs> Thank you, marijuana. <laughs> you know what? I I actually did not realize just how warm it is today until I opened the door to the other end of the house, went in there, and immediately started sweating. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, with the with the reverse of seasons, it's like summertime for you there now, right? Yeah, it's just just getting into the thick of it, really. So uh, we haven't had. We haven't really had any days over. We haven't have, haven't had any hundred degree Fahrenheit days yet, but give it a few weeks and that'll be coming. Something wow. to look forward to. <laughs> I just uh, I, I just hope that on Christmas Day it's not absolutely uh, blazing hot because uh, the last couple of Christmases I've had to pass out on people's tiles because it was too hot. Mm. I literally. Face down, middle of the kitchen is me sleeping. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> That's how bad cold... I am with heat. Yeah, I bet those cold tiles feel good though. Oh yeah! Oh fuck yeah! I just, I just wish the rest of the of Australia felt that cold. <laughs> I remember seeing, I think it was on the original Planet Earth docu series, where it showed um, the the outback area in Kimberley. And it was showing what the the kangaroos there do to stay cool, and that they'll like dig like three to four inches down in the soil, and it'll be like just cool enough to where they'll dig out like a little pit, and then kind of like lay themselves down in it and put as much of like their belly against that colder ground as possible, and that's how they're able to survive those ultra hot temps. Hey, that's what the humans do as well. It's fucking wild. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We've got fucking air conditioning. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can actually say that we've got air conditioning. Uh, Canberra is now run 100% on renewable energy, so I don't feel too bad about running the thing up on the wall. That's nice, man. That's that's the goal to get to, right, is to get off this fossil fuel teat and, and get into renewable energy and start, you know – we don't want to take a step back as a society, but we can oh, take no. a step forward in, in doing things in a better way. And hmm. uh, since, since going renewable here, we've got, we've got electric buses running around. We got, I think it was last year. They opened up a tram line on the North side. That's all run on electricity. People are still driving cars, but it feels good that we're actually making an impact. I just wish the rest of, the world would do that. Yeah. I just, uh, um, I recently just had to buy a new car and, and I thought about getting a Tesla and, and then ultimately ended up getting another gas car. But, um, it's cause they're, it's cause they're not, the electric cars are not affordable yet. As soon as they come down to within a price range where I can afford one, I am jumping on that shit immediately. Yeah, that's kind of where I was at with it, too, is that it's like I really want one of these things. And for the vast majority of the driving I do, having a range of around 250 miles is fine. But Oh, yeah. But, yeah, the, the price point was still too much. And then also it's like, all right, if I am buying a newer car, then if we're going to take a family road trip and, you know, maybe drive a few states away or something like that, I'm not going to be able to do that with the Tesla. And I'm certainly not going to want to do it with my older vehicle. <laughs> oh, hell no. Yeah, see, I, I don't, I don't leave town 
very much. And when I do, it's not that far away. So I could probably get away with an electric car, but they're still, I mean, they're way, way out of my price range. Let's just say that. Yeah. Let's just say if my, <laughs> if my current car breaks down, I'll be fucked. That's, that's how we're talking financially here. Oh gosh, dude. What was it? It was, might've been on Monday. I think it was on Monday. I had to take my wife's car in to get five new tires. And so I knew that like the cheapest I was going to get out of there was $500. And so then they call and they're like, because when you get four tires, you get free alignment with it. And they're like, okay, well the front alignment, if it needs to be done is this much money, the rear alignment is this much money if it needs to be done. And I'm like, yep, that's fine. Like if it needs an alignment, get it. You know, I don't want to buy new tires and then just have them start, you know, wearing a weird tread pattern on them because the tires are out of alignment. And so then they call and it's never, it's never good when they call, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're yeah, like, no. well, um, we couldn't do the alignment because both your front tie rod ends need to be done. I'm like, all right, go ahead and do those. That's cool. It needs to be done. Tie rods, keep the tires on. Let's keep the tires on. And, and then they call a little while later and they're like, well, we're doing the tie rod ends. We found that, that, um, your front left spring, half of it was just gone. And like the spring was just resting on the axle and it could just, if you hit, would have hit a weird bad bump, like it could have just shot off of there. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, well, it's that I'm like, yep, my, you do front new struts also. And so my $500 car bill turned into a thousand. Ooh, that's gnarly, dude. That's yeah. gnarly. Drives nice. Though. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, it's got it. I mean, I'm, I'm driving a car that's basically almost as old as i am but it's a it's a toyota so it's running pretty smoothly needs a service every now and again but it's no big deal really you probably don't have as many uh, problems with rust down there either if you're not having like a lot of you know freezing conditions on roads where they're throwing salt down no no we don't have anything like that never have a problem with car rusting that's for sure oh it's so bad here in the midwest dude I, I'm guessing maybe they'd have more of a rust problem in Queensland, where it's a more tropical climate. But even then, it doesn't doesn't exactly get cold either, ever. Yeah, it's, it's well, horrible up there. <laughs> well, here you know, I mean, they'll they'll throw down mixtures of salt and sand on the highways. Like they've got big trucks that you know have just got like a big hopper in the back of the truck with just a sprayer, a spreader on the back of it that they'll just drive up and down the hallway, just spreading raw rock salt on the roads holy shit and so then the whole wow, yeah, undercarriage no. of your vehicle gets coated in it and vehicles in the midwest will literally just rust out from the bottom oh wow fucking hell uh, you see you see cars rusting a lot in uh rural areas around here but never for those reasons that's for sure <laughs> Norm- yeah. normally just because they've been left there for like 20 years <laughs> yeah no it's um when I was when I before I decided to get a newer vehicle, I was looking at used Toyota 4Runners, and I found one that was a 2004. That's all outward appearances looked incredible, and and my my wife's cousin Jeff owns a shop, and so I trust his opinion above all others when it comes to you know automotive stuff. And so the yep. first thing I did was I went and just took this vehicle on a test drive and just drove it right to his shop. And he crawled under it with a flashlight and was just pulling off pieces of surface rust that were like the size of potato chips. 
Holy shit. And then just arranging them what on the, the ground fuck? by my feet. And he's like, don't buy this vehicle, dude. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I won't. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Gnarly. Yep. Don't judge a book by its cover, I guess. Yeah. Well, and then we started looking at it a little bit more critically. And we could see all the places where either the dealership or the prior owner just flat out painted over all the rust. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, is, it, is that not illegal? Yeah, who knows? If you're trying to sell it? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. It's America. You guys are a lawless. But, um, <laughs> well, no, I mean, clearly the dealership wasn't trying to hide that it was rusty because when I went and said, hey, I'm here to test drive the, the 04 Forerunner, the guy was like, ooh, I got to tell you, it's got some rust issues. <laughs> oh, at least he was fucking up front about it. Yeah, yeah. And he even said that. He's like, he's like, um, uh, the the front lower right support that holds the radiator on is completely gone. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Holy shit! And so even the whole time uh, I'm driving it over to test to to have Jeff look at it, I'm like, am I wasting all of our time here? <laughs> at least you had someone good to tell you about the issues up front, instead of having to find out about it later after someone's already taken your money for it. <laughs> And that was how the last Forerunner I bought went. I was, like, way too dumb with it and just trusting and being like, oh, the dealership's telling me this just had a bunch of work on it. And, like, everything looks new under the hood. It's all good. And it's like, no, they pressure washed that engine and fed me a line of shit. Uh, yeah, fucking A. It's like, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago now, my wife and I went to buy a TV off Facebook Marketplace, and we were in a bit of a hurry, so we went to this person's place. Oh, yeah, nice TV. Still got its, you know, uh, its stuff inside it and whatever. Got the power cord and everything. Give him the money, take it home, plug it in, and it just flat out doesn't work. Everything we tried doesn't work. They've already taken our money. I tried to call them back. Their phone switched off. I tried to, like, message them on Facebook. They blocked me on Facebook. Oh, So, uh... I uh, I went round to their house at two a.m. Well, I didn't go. I didn't go to their house. I drove into their street, sat outside their house at two a.m. and held my hand on the horn for a full two minutes before I drove off. <laughs> and, and this, all right, you can fucking keep my money, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna do something. <laughs> if I can't throw rocks, if I can't throw rocks through your window, I'll wake you up at two a.m. Let's hope that does it. Mm. Yeah, I. I... I don't know how people can do that sort of shit and sleep at night. I, I've, just, I've never been able me to understand neither. that. And like, uh, you know, me having been plenty involved in the drug world, I've seen a lot of people do a lot of dodgy shit for drugs to, you know, they'll sell, they'll sell, steal something and sell it to get their money for drugs, or they'll be the ones selling the drugs and they'll sell something that isn't drugs to people who are a little bit gullible. And boom, you know, they get rich off that. Whereas I'm stuck here deciding between food and cigarettes for the week. And those people are making money. If I had a little bit less of a conscience, I think I'd be rich. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad I have a conscience because at least, you know, people don't fucking hate me. Yes. Yeah, I think it's much better to be empathetic. <laughs> yeah. It's, definite, it's definitely the hard road to take. But... It's the best. At least, at least I can sleep at night. Sometimes, I hundred percent agree with that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's like you know, with all the snake oil salesmen and the homeopathy and all that shit. 
I could be out there making fucking tens of millions of dollars because I know how those scams work. I know who they're targeted towards and how to keep them going. But I, I place a little bit too much value in goodness and trust and honesty. So I'm out here struggling for bucks. Yeah, the biggest racket would be <laughs> becoming a televangelist. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think I could do that. I don't. Oh, I don't have the personality for it. Because <laughs> <laughs> every time I see a fucking televangelist, I want to punch them in the face. Oh, it doesn't the matter. Worst. It doesn't matter how nice of a person they present themselves as. They're all just just baseline disgusting people. I hundred percent agree, dude. Like watching the the videos of that one. Um... Uh, Kenneth Copeland, dude, oh, is just so he looks evil. Oh, doesn't he? Like he looks like Something. a fucking demon on earth. <laughs> did you um? Did you see that? There's a clip on YouTube of a reporter who'd gone to question him about why he has all these multi-million-dollar jet planes and properties. Uh-huh. And the way he was staring her in the eyes was just. Even I was thinking. I'm watching a video on the internet. Even I'm thinking, get out, get out, get out. Something's wrong. Something's fucking evil behind there. That dude gives me the fucking willies. Super. Super, dude. He, he creeps me the fuck out. Him him and Joel Olstein. I love that Bill Burr bit oh. where he said that Joel Olstein's so full of shit he doesn't even have his eyes open when he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucking true. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> fuck, I love Bill Burr. He knows how, he knows how to say it. He yeah. really does. <laughs> My favorite was when he was... When he was talking about how when he realized that that he would hear other people talk about their religions and be like, that's crazy, stupid bullshit. And then it like started thinking about the stuff that he learned when he was a kid. The only reason he didn't think it was crazy, stupid bullshit was because he learned it when he was a little kid. Oh, exactly. So, I, I mean, I, w- I was the same. I grew up uh, baptized into the church, strong Christian family. They had that whole anything outside of the church is evil and shouldn't be parlayed with. And then uh, I hit about age 13 and decided, fuck the church, I'm becoming a Satanist instead. Wow, how's that work? Yeah. Uh, Well, it wasn't exactly a permanent thing because I've dabbled in lots of occult traditions as well as reading into a bit of Buddhism here and there. I, it was purely a rebellious thing to start with, being like, yeah, fuck the church, turn the crosses upside down, fuck <laughs> you for telling me that shit. And then I, I come into a more adult phase where I guess on some level I'm still a Satanist, but my Satanism is free-thinking individualism, being independent and uh, not just blindly bowing down to authority when they tell you how the world is. So. Yeah. I'm not rebelling anymore, but I was at one point, and that was that was very natural. Oh, I've been forced into this thing my whole life. I'm going to rebel. What's the first thing I'm going to use to rebel? The exact opposite of what they taught me my entire life. And I mean, yeah, it was fun. I, I got expelled from a Christian school because I spray-painted Hail Satan on the lockers. <laughs> I, uh, I did the whole, you know, wearing black in the pentagrams and graffitied a few places and churches and whatnot but now now i'm just in this mature thing about well you know if someone comes to my door preaching me telling me i need to convert i'm gonna jump down their throat and play with their insides but otherwise i just don't care it doesn't affect me (laughs) 
I mean, people can believe whatever they want to believe, but uh, I, I don't have to believe it. Yeah, that's the, the, and that's the problem I've always had with with religion is that when people just treat their religion like like well, this is just a fact. It's like no, that it's it's belief. That's literally the definition of religion. It's belief. It's not fact. It's like if you want to worship Absolutely. shit based on fact, like that's science. Because science yeah. is crabs in a bucket. <laughs> like, they, there's nothing... They, I, I imagine there's no better high in science than proving another scientist wrong. And, like, that's what those oh. guys and, and gals are out there doing. And so that's why that's why I like the scientific method, you know? Oh, hell yeah. I love the scientific method because you go looking for answers and you only get more questions. Uh-huh. And that's... Well, that's the way it should be, man. That's, yeah. There's no eureka moment. There's an... Uh, oh, shit maybe i need to look at this too kind of moment and being that the first tenant of it is question authority (laughs) like from a young age i was like i dig this scientific method it speaks to me (laughs) i mean i wasn't exactly a science nut when i was like 13 14 but that aspect of it appealed to me when i became an adult and i i fucking i love science now i'm i'm right into astronomy physics quantum physics which is all uh, reinforced by atheistic outlook on life in my mature years. And just the the scientific method is, why would you go with anything else? That's a bona fide way of getting to the truth. Even if you don't always come to the truth you want, it's a bona fide way of getting there and being able to go, oh, maybe I was wrong. Time to change my opinion. Yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff, man. I've, I've always been into science. I was um, big into science when I was in high school. And... And I, I didn't appreciate physics until I was much older. And so that's the one regret that I had is that I didn't realize how fascinating physics was when I could have actually studied it in school. Because when I was in school, I just equated it as, oh, don't take physics. You're not good at math. And it's like, it's so yeah. much more than math, you know. I um, I wish I'd paid more attention in science because uh, I might have been an astronomer or a physicist by now. But uh, science class in my school was – they're not teaching you anything unless they can somehow bring it all back around to Jesus. If, they, if it doesn't involve Jesus, it's not worth teaching. So I, it took me into well into my adult years to actually have, have a friend of mine sit down and talk about physics with me and go, oh, what? That's, that's actually what it's all talking about? Fuck, it's so simple. We are so fascinating. And I, re- yeah, kind of regret not getting into it earlier. That's for sure. Yeah, and and like I, I like it now. From you know, like I'll, I'll I'll watch docu series about space phenomena and stuff like that, and just be absolutely into it. You know, um, oh fuck yeah! Like programs like like how the universe, um, how the universe works and stuff like that. It's just there's stuff in space that is so mind blowing that. I, I just feel like if more people on the planet, it's like you almost need to like grab people and just shake them and then grab their fucking chin and just point their head up and be like, yeah. fucking look up, dude, look up you at the night sky. When you see those stars share, staring back at you in the, the depths of blackness in between those stars, you're just staring into an unimaginable void. And if that doesn't blow your fucking mind to the point where it just makes you drop all the petty shit that people focus on so much day to day here. It's like, no, out there is an unending 
frontier of limitless discoveries, and we're all fucking stuck here arguing about stupid shit. Oh that, yeah, that is just I, I holding think... us back when we could be joining that out there. It's. I, I think it's such a um, fundamental part of my empathetic view of other people, even though I don't. Even though I'm antisocial and a little bit anti-people sometimes, something that grounds me and makes me empathetic for every single person is that even though you and I are currently sitting on different sides of the planet, the atoms that constitute our bodies were forged in the same stars many, many billions of years ago. So there's this inherent connection between us and the universe and us and each other that the only way that I could describe it knowing all the science about it is it's a spiritual experience being able to feel that connection to look at the stars and go it's the same atoms it's the it's a closed the universe is a closed system and everything is connected from that one point at the big bang to now it's yeah it, it's a very humbling experience i think and it's also really fucking metal <laughs> everything oh, yeah. around oh, us is like all built from the blocks of dead fucking stars from billions and billions of years ago. Oh, yeah. It's fucking... The universe is metal as fuck. Black <laughs> you know? holes? Black holes? Come on, man. That shit's fucking crazy. Yeah, the, the universe is metal as fuck, man. <sighs> There's scary oh, shit that... out there like neutron stars and magnetars. Oh, oh uh, fuck yeah. Pulsars and... Oh. Gamma ray bursts <laughs> that can, like, vaporize planets and shit. Like, Wow. Uh, so, okay, so something that we should be grateful for is uh, we actually have evidence that there was a gamma ray burst that was in the direction of Earth well before humans ever arrived. So that reduces the chances of a gamma ray burst coming our way again to almost zero, not zero, almost zero. <laughs> and the fact that a, a 10 kilometer wide asteroid hit the Earth 60 million years ago and ended basically all life means that the odds of an asteroid that size coming our way again within any of our lifetimes is basically zero. So, yeah, makes you feel a little bit safer that the universe isn't entirely out to kill you. Yeah, the if you ever want to go down a, a dark path of paranoia, get on NASA's website and look at their list of near-Earth objects that they track. Oh, man. It's fucking I, I've scary. Seen, <laughs> I've seen that simulation of the Earth with every single point being a bit of space debris and you just go, Oh, how the fuck do we ever hope to fix that? All of that. How there's no net big enough to catch it all. Yeah. Yeah. The shield of space debris that's like in orbit around our planet's pretty fucking scary. And I mean, oh, that's, yeah. that's one of those problems of tomorrow that they're going to have to figure out where it's like, do you deploy something? Is there some other sort of, you know, like satellite that you can deploy that like, will collect these things somehow. And I, I mean, I, I, I know they're coming up with processes to remove plastic from the ocean and, and that's pretty fucking cool. So, I mean, hopefully, you know, yeah. and, and like that was pioneered by like a young uh, Dutch kid, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. that I think it was like 18 year old Dutch kid or something like that. Yeah. That came up with that technology, which is just, crazy i mean the, the people who've been scratching their heads for 40 years over this stuff haven't been able to figure it out but as soon as a, a new young bright mind comes in and gives an idea that they haven't even thought of before that's when it all and you can apply that to anything there are 
you know, we don't have a single figure in the world at the moment that was as smart as, say, Einstein or Stephen Hawking were in their day. But there are countless millions of people that are equally as smart with equally as good ideas that are probably toiling away in sweatshops and working in fields and dying very young of preventable illnesses. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. the Just the tragic circumstances of society's failure to really elevate people beyond a working class for the majority of them. Yeah. It's like, no, it, it, I kind of got into this in my last episode with Neil – and it's something that I'm a huge believer in is that if if people all just worked together to lift each other up, like the the planet could be like a real paradise for everybody that lives on it. But it just seems like the, the worst parts of human nature always prevent that from happening. And, and it's super we have, sad. Um, we, uh, we as a species have such incredible potential that gets squandered on such meaningless shit because people can't see a bigger picture outside of their own lives. Yes. And that's, I mean, when you take that as a, uh, as something indicative of how people are politically, that's how you guys have gotten into the system where you are now, where everyone is so focused on themselves and these small little groups that anything outside of that, they see as a danger to themselves so they fight rapidly tooth and nail against it, and then nobody gets anywhere in the end. Yeah, I, I'd really like to hope that America's in a transitory period that, that oh, we're going to come out on the other side of hopefully more enlightened and that we're going to be able to... My biggest hope, especially as a father of you know boys that are rapidly becoming closer to being teenagers, is that we're, we're able to go through this period in a peaceful manner um, because it, it, some, some of the rhetoric around, around this last election was pretty fucking scary. Oh man. I, um, I, I will say that I follow us politics probably more closely than I should. So that whole election cycle was everyday news for me watching CNN and seeing that rhetoric come to the forefront is just fucking terrifying uh it's i can hope that it doesn't happen i can hope and you know think that it's highly unlikely that you know massive scale violence is going to happen but when you throw humans in the mix and their unpredictability you just you just don't know it's impossible to predict the future yeah yeah well and especially when when there's people that are willing to 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 bring out the the negative emotions in people as a way to rally them, like tr- historically, yeah. that's never been good. <laughs> it, it's, so it's, it's never worked out well for anyone. No, no, it's always it's always bad. And yeah, it, it, I I just hope that someday America gets its shit back together and it it can it can reachieve a place of standing in the world where people actually looked up to America as like a, a, a beacon of something to work towards. And and I feel oh, like, unfortunately it's, it's been a while since we've been that it's been quite tarnished. Um, you know, being, being Australian for a lot of my early life, the whole feeling of the U S being allies with us was almost like a big brother, little brother thing. Like we were that closely connected to each other. Whereas now a lot of us are looking in from the outside and going, fuck that. Let's hope we don't have that here, and we have little inklings of it here, but fortunately our system is just uh, 
strong and cohesive enough to make sure that that shit never gets rampant like with Trump. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been an insane ride watching that shit. I mean, I've become more politically aware and more uh, determined in my convictions politically. And that wouldn't have happened without the mess that you've gotten yourselves into, but it's still a mess. And I I really hope you guys can fix it because there are places in America I, I really want to visit. I want to go visit the boys from Heroes of Noise. would love to travel over the country, see the Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, stuff like that. But at the moment, frozen in terror at the thought of actually getting on a plane and going to America. Like, yeah. It's weird. Mm. Uh, in, the, in the same way that some of you guys are terrified of coming to Australia because of our wildlife. I'm, I'm terrified <laughs> of the people. <laughs> so that, that's, that's something my wife said is, you know, they're, they're so terrified of, of wildlife that over here, like I, I can't remember the last time I had a run in with something that was actually like a threat to my life. Well, but, what's, uh, okay. What's the there, biggest spider you've ever had to extricate from your house? Oh, okay. Um, my house has never been a big problem, but my car, I had a... Do you know Do you know what a huntsman spider looks like? A huntsman spider? Yeah. I'm, they, I'm, uh, I'm Googling it right now, but go ahead. They sort of look like tarantulas, except scarier. Like a tarantula, in some person's mind, you could view as being cute, but a huntsman spider, fuck those things, burn every single one of them. Um, I oh, had one fuck of those. that. So, oh, fuck that. Dude, there's a picture of one on a wall here, and it's like the size of a clock. Yep, and you see the way their legs curve down at the front? Ugh. Uh, not, yeah, I, I had one of those things run across my dashboard when, no. while I was driving. At 80 kilometers an hour, no. I had... I had, I had to slam on the brakes, <laughs> mount the curb. I, I almost flew up the curb. I, like, instantly got out of my car, and even when I'd found the thing and fucking killed it, I was still so on edge from that experience that I actually had to call a friend and be like, hey, look, I've just... I found a spider in my car. I'm, I'm all kinds of crazy. Can you can you just talk to me while I drive home? So I don't, you know, oh, there's a fucking spider somewhere in my car. Fuck those spiders. Burn every single one. You wouldn't be doing the ecosystem an injustice whatsoever. Get rid of them. I, I like the daddy long legs. Um, um, are they common elsewhere in the world? I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got daddy long legs yeah. here. They're, they're nothing to worry about. It's not no I, huntsman I, spider. Fuck that. <laughs> Did you know that uh, that Daddy Longlegs are actually one of the most venomous spiders on Earth? I've I've heard can't. that. They can't actually bite humans, so we, they're no danger to us whatsoever. <laughs> um, there's a they like, tested that on daddy. one of the early seasons of MythBusters. I, no. I can't remember the, what what they did with it, but they basically made some like contraction contraption that had a shitload of Daddy Longlegs in it, and they could like put their bare arm in it. Just to see if any yeah. of them would ever bite them. And I don't think they would sustain any bites. Oh, that gives me the willies. <laughs> just <laughs> thought of putting your hand in a tank full of spiders. Dude, when, but, I, uh, was, when it, I was a Boy Scout, I had a short stint in the Boy Scouts before I found out that it was not the organization for me. And it goes back to my problem with authority. Um, I had a much more of a struggle with it when I was a kid. Um, but, dude, we had to sleep in these canvas tents. That It was like a canvas-walled tent that like had cots in it that were just there all summer. And so you'd come in, you'd do a week long stint in this, 
in this camp. And then you'd cycle out and a whole new batch of, of uh, scouts would come in and use that stuff. And so these tents that were just set up were just full of daddy long legs. Like while you were sleeping, if you didn't have a sleeping bag that you could zip yourself up in like a mummy bag, like you were going to have spiders crawling around your on your face while you were sleeping. It was horrible. Yeah. He gave me the fucking willies too. I just had to remind myself it's just daddy long legs. But if if I'd have known about brand recluse spiders back then, I, there's no way I would have ever been able to sleep. We've got uh we've got redback spiders and white tails. Uh, redbacks are more common, and while they can definitely put you in hospital and kill you if you don't sort it out quick enough, white tails are the ones to worry about because they can give you a very minuscule little bite that'll very quickly blow out of proportions in terms of infection and get you dead. So, uh, God, spiders are one of those I, things that just scare the shit out of me, dude. I don't. I, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing that I generally keep my house and car clean enough so that no spider would want to go in there. Or maybe it's the fact that I smoke a lot of weed, and if there was a spider in here, they'd be fucking high to the shit house. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I hate the little fuckers, and I hate the idea that at any point in time I'm no more than seven meters away from a spider because that's just. If, if I spend too long thinking about that, it'd ruin my life. <laughs> yeah, dude, I bought one of those gun uh, bug assault guns, and it was like the oh, best fuck, yeah. forty bucks I've ever spent. Oh, oh, dude, I need to get one. Get me one of those. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't think it'd do anything to that huntsman spider. I think you'd have to beat the spider with the gun with that plastic gun. So, uh, when it comes to huntsman spiders, the tried and true Australian method is to take off your thong. Which uh, you guys would call a flip flop, not, not a G string. It goes on your foot, and uh, use that to slap the ever loving fucking shit out of it. Oh, Jesus! <sighs> I couldn't imagine uh, being spiders that big. I, dude. Um, it gives me the willies. Oh. I uh, I, mar- I married a goth, so she has huge platform boots. Which <laughs> every every time there's a spider, I go for one of her boots because it means I don't have to get too fucking close to the thing. <laughs> But uh, I, I tell you what, I used I used to be like full on arachnophobe. Like, even seeing a daddy long legs would freak me out to the point where, as a kid, I'd start crying. But uh, I somewhat overcame my fear of spiders in a very unconventional manner when I was uh, hanging out at a friend's place smoking cannabis, and I saw a, a daddy long legs on the wall, and I got really close to it and blew weed smoke at it. And watched it walking around in circles and going for every nearby fly for about two hours. And <laughs> thinking, oh, that's that's not so bad. They're just like us. I get stoned. They get stoned. We're basically the same. <laughs> Actually, related to spiders, here's a bit of Australian slang you can use. Have you ever heard the phrase, I'm not here to fuck spiders? I'm not here to fuck spiders. <laughs> I've never heard that. I mean, but basically, let's not beat around the bush. Let's get straight to the point. I'm not here to fuck spiders. I'm not here, <laughs> not, not here to fuck spiders, eh? Yeah, I'm not here to fuck spiders, mate. Let's fucking get right down to it. Yeah, no. Let's get the fuck. No, no yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man, if, if, we had, if we had more time, I'd, I'd give you a lesson on the Australian accent. There's some videos I can point you to. But really, you just got to remember it's dry. It's very nasal. And that's that's about it. 
Really? <laughs> I love it, dude. Well, I, I know your time is short now and you and you probably got to get going, but um, this has been fantastic conversation and we've got to do this again, Steve. Oh, fuck yeah, man. Uh, any time, dude. Any time. And uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to the, the guys from Heroes of Noise because if they hadn't had you on their show, I never would have like met you online and this never would have happened. So... This has been the second time I've recorded for a podcast, so it's very much stretching the legs. <laughs> Dude, it, it's been fantastic. You've been a great guest. Uh, I can't wait to have you on again. And and also, yeah, huge stan- uh, huge thanks to Dan and Steve for for you know putting together such a great podcast and Heroes of Noise that you know they were able to to attract a community and and through that community we were able to connect and. Um, yeah, this this has just been great, man. Um, it, man what, what a cool treat to talk to somebody on the other side of the world, you know? And, and I think if any year was the year for it, for having an online community that's so friendly and focused and tight-knit, it's this year. Because, so, you know, sometimes just being able to talk shit with people or hear about what's going on in other parts of the world, and especially America at the moment, and having people to talk to, I'm lucky as fuck to know all these people and if ever i get the opportunity to meet every single one of you in person i absolutely will jump at the chance awesome dude yeah if you ever get the chance and, to come to america if, if if we can do um you know another meetup like that someday in the future that would be it would be incredible because you know getting to and, meet dan at, at c2e2 back in march was or at the end of february was was really really awesome Oh man, and and right before the world ended as well. So yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah real man. Uh, listening to that, I I wish I could have gone. But uh, the the uh, offer is extended to you as well. If you ever come to Australia, hit me up. Meet up in Canberra. I don't know. Have have some beers, smoke a bit of weed, see the sights around here. Avoid the redbacks and whitetails and fighting <laughs> kangaroos, which I I can't. You know, if Steve Hudson ever comes here, I'm just going to have to have him on a bloody leash the whole time. Just, no, 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 stay away from those roos, mate. You cannot fight them. No, you can't fight them. It's not Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. If you ever find yourself in Australia, hit me up. We'll have a fucking good time. I'll show you around. Beautiful. Beautiful, dude. I love it. Um, oh, cheers heaps for having me on, dude. It's, it's been awesome. Absolutely, yeah. man. Um, no, this, this has been a treat. Look forward to having you on again, man. Um, thank you so oh, much definitely. for taking the time. And and thank you all so much for listening. Uh, until next time, this has been Starkcast. Take it easy. <laughs>